What up, UFC fans? And welcome back to another episode of the toughest podcast on the World Wide Web. Tougher than a damn well-done steak. I'm your host, Zach Goldfinger Gleason, here with my partner in crime as usual, Gage Havoc Hamby. And we're back, man. Ready to talk another week of fights. I guess we got to look back before we can look forward, but what's going on, Gage? Oh, nothing much. Just on the job hunt until you motherfuckers make this shit uh, my full-time job. No kidding. It was funny. Brendan O'Reilly told us that one day we'd look back in these episodes and, you know, maybe one day they would be different, but things aren't looking that way yet. What you drinking tonight, Gage? A little something, (laughs) something. You know what it is. I can't divulge information on the World Wide Web. Not on the World Wide Web, but let's see. I have a grapefruit-flavored ranch water, tequila, Topo Chico, lime, and what? Maybe a little bit of salt if you're feeling frisky. But I'm enjoying what I'm drinking. I'm sure you are, amigo. Let's talk some UFC. Let's get into some fights. You want to go back to last week? Run it back real quick. Well, as much as I would like to not do that, it seems as though we must. We must. All right, let's start from the top. Then we got Kevin Gastelum and his fight with Jared Cannonier. Um, I picked Gastelum, and he just didn't bring the juice. And I felt, you know, Cannonier didn't look spectacular. I mean, he won the fight, don't get me wrong, but he didn't look spectacular. He's not number three ranked, I'll tell you that for sure. Yeah, uh, Jared Cannonier definitely impressed me. I, I'll agree with you that it wasn't necessarily anything spectacular, but I was impressed because usually he's kind of a guy that lets his opponent dictate the pace of the fight, and he just sits back and waits to counter. But he was a lot more on his front foot, moving around, and, I mean, he rocked Gastelum a couple of times. He was switching up his combos. His strikes were diverse. And, you know, to give Kelvin a little bit of credit where it's due, the second round of that fight might have been the best round I've ever seen Kelvin Gastelum fight. I mean, he was coming at him with everything, and he was switching levels. He was maneuvering his strikes in a way that seemed like everything was landing. He definitely didn't lose 50-45. I don't think anybody scored it that way. Regardless, uh, he got too predictable with what he was doing. Cannoneer figured him out, and – I think it's just a testament to what you said last week that Kelvin Gastelum's got a granite chin. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, like you said, Kanye figured him out and was one step ahead pretty much every round after the second. I I think uh, Kelvin, Kelvin got work on, has to work on himself, really, man. Um, he's lost to all the top dogs. He has to go from here and really reinvent himself to get himself back in any kind of title contention. But he's still a great fighter. I mean, he's almost at the point where uh, I think that he's going to be a gatekeeper if he's not careful, honestly. And he's only 30 years old. So he's right in the prime of his athletic career and is not setting himself up for success. No, yeah. he He's lost to everybody that's a contender at 185 at this point. So to say he's fought himself out of contention with – I think one win in his last six is not an understatement to say the least. Um, I think the general consensus within the UFC community is that people would like to see Kelvin move down to 170 just because he's a, he's a smaller 185 guy. 
a lot of the reason you see him, you know, you can't excuse his takedown defense against Robert Whitaker, but like his striking, his reach and height disadvantage against Cannoneer was definitely an advantage in Cannoneer's favor. But I don't know. I don't think it would be the worst idea in the world at all to see Kelvin move down just because A, that introduces some new blood to the welterweight division, and B, he hasn't fought all the top contenders there, so it's still a plausible idea that he might get a title shot at welterweight. Yeah, um, I was seeing that this week too as well. Uh, Gaslam moving down to 170, where I believe he made a start if on the ultimate contender, if I'm not mistaken. Not sure on that. I think six fights. I think he's three and three at 170. And I do believe that's what he fought at on the ultimate fighter when he won it on team uncle Chael. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he's definitely in the mix. Uh, could be a contender at 170, even though he has a three and three record, we'd have to see him, but it's like Jose Aldo a few weeks ago, making wholesale changes and putting down the hamburgers and moving down to 135. We have to see, say the see, uh, see the same thing from, Oh boy, Kevin Gaston putting down them hamburgers and whatnot. But uh, <laughs> I think I think it'd be interesting. But uh, he had, has to change it up, or he's just going to become an Alistair Overeem at this point. I was about to say that would be a shame because I'm pretty much convinced at this point that if he chooses to stay at 185, he's going to end up fighting somebody that would more widely be considered to be an up and comer, like a younger guy, like. <clears throat> Excuse me, I believe Brendan Allen had called him out. And not to say that that's not a great matchup. I I feel like that makes for a great fight personally. But, you know, Brendan Allen is not the same namesake as Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier and pretty much everybody Gastelum's beaten. Israel Adesanya, you know, he's fought everybody. Yeah. So let's move on to our co-main where I believe we both got that wrong. Clay Guida came out on the losing side of a hard-fought battle against uh, Mark Madsen. I was severely surprised by Mark Madsen's stand-up game, and he made me eat everything that I said last week and put a foot in my mouth. Holy shit. He held his ground. He held his own. I'm not going to say he's a world-class striker by any means, but shit. He kept up, and he won that fight for sure. And was winning at pretty much every extent change, you know? No, yeah, I think I think we definitely have to credit ourselves to the fact that neither one of us assumed that 39-year-old Clay Guida would be gassed out and have nothing to offer as a, as a competitor in the cage. I think Clay Guida looked a lot better than a lot of people expected. And given the fact that it was a split decision, even one of the, you know, one of the trained judges thought that he won that fight. So... I'm not completely distraught about the decision because, like you said, Mark Madsen's jab, he, I mean, he touched him all night. I don't think there was ever a point where he seriously injured Guida, but, like, this fight never resorted to the mat. He never had to use that Olympic-level Greco-Roman wrestling that we've seen <clears throat> other than to, you know, get a collar tie. When he would reach out and grab Guida, And then when he was up against the cage, that was where those Greco-Roman skills were coming in. And he was definitely, you know, holding that advantage over Guida. He was he didn't take Guida down. I don't think he took him down one time. If I I recall. Uh -uh. Yeah. So we might be witnessing a whole new contender, a stacked 155. I mean, 
phenomenal. I don't think he can keep up with the Dustin Poyes at this per, uh, point, but his grappling game is definitely there. If he keeps working no, on his stand-up game, this guy's going to be a menace, even though I believe he's in his late 30s. Yeah, I, I loved his call-out. He called out Gregor Gillespie at the end of that fight, and I think that Love makes that. for a great matchup. It works him into that top 15, and you know it kind of gives him – another name outside of Clay Guida to say, you know, I'm not just beating up cupcakes. I'm not just a wrestler. I'm a really good mixed martial artist. Hey, look out for down the road. I know they're a little bit different on their time pass, but Islam Mahachev versus Mark Madsen would be a banger of a fight. Honestly, like a grappling uh, sensation, but this is, this is a good forum to have that recorded on because if it happens, that is a hot take, my friend. Hey, we'll see one day, but uh, one's top five, the other is not. So let's move on to our third fight of that night. Parker Porter versus Chase Sherman. Boy, did we fuck this one up. I don't do this very often, particularly because we're in the business of shitting on people and then just hoping they don't come find us. But I do think Parker Porter is entitled to an apology from us for what we said last week. We're Not sorry. That it, yeah, we're sorry. Not that it was anything too bad, but, oh, man, he looked he looked good. Like, the cardio was there. His the striking boxing. was there. The head movement, man, was on point. I don't know if that's just because Chase Sherman gassed and his punches were just getting slower, so they were easier to see. But – at the end of the day, Parker Porter dominated that fight, and Chase Sherman definitely raised a lot of red flags. Yeah, uh, Chase Sherman's gas thing. Good God, I should have learned my lesson, but that was fucking pitiful, dude. I know you're 240, 250 pounds, but Jesus Christ, dude, come on. Get in the fucking gym and run on a fucking treadmill and fucking put some sandbags on your fucking shoulders. Jesus I mean, I couldn't have said that one better myself. And I'm excited to see Parker Porter get back in there, though. I'd like to see him not against this person, not against Tai Tuivasa, but somebody kind of with that style, that mm-hmm. stand and bang kind of style. Maybe I don't I don't really know off the top of my head whether it'd be a step up or a step down, but maybe Justin Taffa, maybe yeah. somebody like that. That might be a fun matchup. No, Just absolutely. Because Parker Porter is not a stand and bang guy like meet in the middle. I don't imagine. And Chase Sherman just didn't challenge him to that degree. I think if he can beat somebody like that, he definitely proves that not, maybe not he's a legit top contender, but definitely he's that he's a very good heavyweight. He's fun. Versus and he, Tanner he, Bozer, that'd be yeah, fun. Yeah. He's definitely, he, he had high output for the heavyweight for sure. And, you know, did damage. I think you don't get a lot of times. I mean, heavyweight fights are either, you know, come on, we're getting knocked out in the first round, or this is going to be a slow fight because both guys are tired. Um, yeah. To your point about, you know, maybe potential matchups, we get a Greg Hardy fight, but. That yeah. would be fun. That's a good idea. Yeah. So um, I we'll see. I mean, you never know. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look it up. So don't uh, don't hold me to anything here. But I do believe that I know for a fact Parker Porter set a personal record for strikes thrown. And I believe it was like 268. Like 
some ridiculous fucking number for a guy that, that that's that's that large. Like that should not have been the the facts of the case. Yeah, that was impressive. His output was definitely impressive. I'm surprised he didn't put him out though. I'm honestly kind of surprised on that. But Chase Sherman looked like a zombie at pretty much halfway through the second round. And yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And to anybody out there who gets this media and absorbs it, we made a promise last week that we would condition our shins, karate, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson style. If for some unconceivable reason, Parker Porter won by a unanimous decision and looky where we are. So check out the intro to our videos this week and maybe you'll get a little surprise of us getting hurt again. You want to do it right now? Okay, okay, okay. As stated previously on the last episode of the Calf Kick Experience, uh, we made a an oral agreement with one another, which as a current 1L law school student means that it's a binding contract. We can't just toss it aside because it was just words and said that we would condition our shins, karate boy, Stephen Thompson style. If for some reason Parker Porter won by a decision and, of course, fucking Parker Porter won by a decision. So we're about to take these wooden instruments and slam them down our shins really hard. I guess that's supposed to kill the nerves in your shins so you can kick people, but we're going to go with five rubs each leg and then a whack to see if it works. So you want to count us down, Gage? Three, two, one. Oh. oh! I I got two. I have two. Oh! God damn it! Three. Oh! Oh my God, dude, this hurts so bad. Who thought of this idea? This shit sucks. This last one. Yep. Now we got to do a whack. Now we got to do a whack. I'll go right hand. That's my dominant hand. Look, you got a fucking bitch to click mine. Mine's fat. I don't even know what you want me to do about that. All right, let's fucking whack our shins. <laughs> Three, two, one. Okay, I'll give you a couple. <laughs> I'll, gi- I'll give you a couple more, man. That was. No, fuck you. I Oh, that Dude, didn't I feel good. I reared back and got myself nice and hard. We're people of our words. I was about to say, this is the PG-rated version of Steve-O and Johnny Knoxville right here. Sometimes I think we just hurt ourselves for fun. Maybe so. But look out for our Instagram page, at the Calf Kick Experience, for the uh, after effects of our bruising. Yes. All right, Zach. You ready to get back into where we left off? Oh, shit. Yeah, let me sit down. Let me get cozy again. My leg still really hurts, so. Oh, yeah. Mine's pretty much fucking throbbing. (laughs) All right. Yeah, we shouldn't have done that. Damn you, Parker Porter. You owe us a podcast visit now. Yeah. All right. So where we left off last fight, submission by Sayeb Yakub 
Kakamenarov versus Trevin Jones in the third round. You know, I want to pick said Yakub, but Kakamenarov really came out. He he showed up, man. I, I thought he was, but I wasn't sure because he didn't have any UFC experience. But he really showed me wrong. Looked adept in the stand-up game. Got the finish on the ground. I mean, I don't think he's a real player yet, but definitely somebody to watch out for. That dude's fucking good, man. I don't know. I don't know how else to properly explain what I'm thinking. That dude's fucking good. Like everything about him to from his striking game to getting the fight on the ground. You can if you really want to be nitpicky, you can point out that at the end of I believe the second round, the round finished with Trevin Jones in mount basically beating the shit out of him. So yeah. I'm not going to say he's top 15 or he's the next coming of Khabib, but at the end of the day, the guy looked good. And I think we like to talk about Dagestan and what Russia's putting out in terms of fighters, but Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and those outer lying old Soviet Union countries, they're putting out freaking dogs. Yeah. I mean, by the, by the time we, by the time we look at the roster next, it's going to be, virtually no people from this side of the world because they're just putting out such good fighters well yeah i mean we could go into depth if you like if y'all want to hear that our in-depth stories about dagestan and the middle eastern and mma we can definitely put out an episode like that however um we're not going to do that yeah Yeah. i was about to say hopefully we'll be able to make a episode of the cke in dagestan but that will be no time soon so don't hold your britches up too high all right. Well, Trevin Jones got the short end of the stick. And hey, uh, hey, he went to sleep. He went night night too. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. What a fucking squeeze. Uh, where we get right? The decision with uh Vince Pichel versus Austin Hubbard. Zach? Well, I think we think we pretty much nailed it just in terms of you know, Austin Hubbard did get a couple of takedowns, I believe it was four, maybe five, but he had no control. Vince Pichel, every time he got ended up on the ground, got straight up off the ground, and the, the striking discrepancy was just way too high. You know, Austin Hubbard has had his moments, and this is not a guy on this card that I will use one of my get-out-of-jail-free cards to shit on. So, I, you know, I have good things to say about him, but Vince looked good, man, and I hope I hope we see him in another, you know, big fight soon. I hope we see him in a good fight against somebody we recognize. Yeah, I mean, I think there also could have been an argument that maybe Austin squeaked out a couple more rounds than the, the judges thought. But think Vince pulled it out. I mean, he was the veteran fighter, knew what he needed to do, and you know, secured the 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 dubs in each round. But I don't think there's much else on that one, right, brother? I was about to say, what else can you say? From hell, took him to hell. Yeah. I think the only other thing we got to really mention at this point is what happened with the flyweights. That shit was almost kind of crazy. Yeah. That was a great fight to start off the main card. I mean, I was back and forth on the ground and whatnot, but Alexander Pantoja coming in with the submission victory. Who would have ever thought that? Not I. Not I. That's a damn fact. And, you know, let me let me rephrase. It's not that it was just totally out of the question for him to get a submission victory. Yeah. But usually Brandon Roy Val is so much squirmier. He's such a good scrambler on the ground. Usually that 
it was harder for me to believe that Pantoja would be able to keep him on the ground and hold him there for as long as he did. But, I mean, what's more interesting to me is what are the implications here? I mean, he basically came out and called Moreno out in person for a title shot. Dana and, White basically said they're going to make it. So, I what mean, does that and, mean for, like, Askar Askarov or Figgy? Like, yeah. No, no, I got to cut you off here because Pantoja's already beat Bram Moreno <laughs> twice. Of what they say, like a 30-26 and a submission victory over the yeah. champ. So, I mean – is there a matchup advantage? Does he deserve a title fight? I think he absolutely can beat Brandon Moreno, but does that mean he should get the next title fight? That's what that was, Mike. The more the question I posed than anything, especially because you know, I I just let me let me stop myself and turn around real quick. I think it would be a crazy fight to market for the UFC, even if it's not a main event and it's on a huge pay per view, because I'm almost certain that this would be the first time that there was a trilogy and a title fight where the contender came in two and zero against the champion. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Like, I, I just think that I think it's good business. And truthfully, if we're talking about guys that are not historically great at making weight and guys that should be in a number one contender fight, Askarov versus Figueredo, I think, answers a lot of questions at 125. I mean, even if they wanted to make a interim belt like they did a couple of weeks ago with, um, you know, the meaningless belt that Cyril Gon got versus Derek Lewis. I mean, shit, come on. That's that's hollowed out gold. You could do the same thing for Figueredo versus Askarov. I mean, at the end of the day, what this comes down to is some sort of we don't run Grand Prix in the UFC. Why do you have interim belts versus with two guys that don't have a belt already? So I think I think the better question to ask is not about the belt system, but why the fuck not? Grand Prix in the UFC. Think about what Bellator's ratings do when there's a Grand Prix fight on the card. The UFC is a much bigger market to begin with. Imagine what adding what is it, more stakes on more fights and making everything seem a little bit more important? Imagine what that would do to viewership. I mean, that's a, that's a conversation for another day. Again, extraneous. Keep it moving. We got to talk about this week's card. Let's, let's get into this motherfucking shit. You know what I'm talking about? I'm feeling juicy. I'm feeling juicy, juicy. I, I, still, I still can't feel my shin from that, but uh, let's get into this week's fight card. Dude, I can't quit laughing about you <laughs> whacking yourself with that thing. The that fucking was just, rolling pin. Dude, hold on, so hold up, hold funny. up, hold up. Look how big this motherfucker is. Engage didn't tap himself either. He really went for it with a whack. <laughs> I really <laughs> whacked myself just like Mahmoud Muradov is about to whack this shit out of Gerald Mershart. Yeah. Like you shot your pants, that's how you say his last name. All right, <laughs> Akmud Muradov coming at 25 and 6. Uh, he's fighting out of the middleweight division at 185, coming at 6'2, that's 75 and one half inch reach. Coming, I have Uzbekistan, if I'm not mistaken, or I can't say that. Anywho, he's coming off sizable win streak. Um, so. He's coming off a win where he got a flying knee versus Andrew Sanchez at the end of their fight. 
in round three, which he looked phenomenal, showed great stand-up ability. He has all the tools that you need to be a contender in this um, weight division. Gerald Marshart coming at 32 and four, the wild, salty dog of the middleweight division, coming at 6'1", 70 and, 77 and one-half inch reach. Um, he's coming off one versus Fabinski, where he used his patented guillotine to get it done. And before that, he got fucking knocked the fuck out by Kamayev. No surprise there. And before that, he got real wrecked versus uh, Ian Heinish. However, he's pretty much a guillotine expert and loves to get it done there. Zach? Well, just touching back to the roots of the calf kick experience, I would be remiss to not mention the name John Jones right now. We've already talked about Kamayev at this point. We've already talked about Islam Makhlchev. The only person that tends to make a regular appearance on our show is John Jones, so might as well toss that in there. <clears throat> Excuse me, but looking at some analysis, looking at this fight and being a little bit more serious here, uh, man, when I look at Muradov, the thing that really stands out to me is not his exceptional striking. It's not the way that he's putting guys down. He's got a hundred percent finish rate in the UFC. Like it's not, it's not common to see that even if you're fighting cans, even if you're fighting guys that aren't that great, it's the fucking UFC, but he doesn't get taken down is my point. He doesn't really, he's got pretty good takedown defense and you know, Gerald Mishar at this point has proven that he's not a very good striker. He's got a negative significant strike rate, and he's got, like, something ridiculously low, like a 51% striking defense. So he's definitely proven he's hittable at, you know, I think Muradov gets the job done here. I would like to say he puts him out and puts him out pretty early because Mearshart's only chance to win this fight is to get it to the ground, and I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean – I don't necessarily agree with you saying Murdov's striking isn't spectacular because I think it's actually very great. I th- I mean, I think he could actually contend. I think he needs some big names under his belt, but shit, the middleweight division is lacking, you know, young talent. You already seen Edmund Shabazian kind of get a boot in that sense, but I think he's up there with Edmund Spazian. I think he's on the same playing field as him, even though no, he no, has no. more fights. Hold on, let me just cut you off to say that I do agree with you. His striking is exceptional. That that was where I was going. I was thinking his striking's really good, but his takedown defense gets me and makes me want to make this pick. I agree with you, though. Continue. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he mixes it up good. He has exceptional kicks, exceptional Muay Thai. I mean, you don't know where this guy's going to come from, what angle he's going to hit you from. Um you know, we haven't seen much groundwork, but like Zach said, his takedown defense is actually pretty good, which that's pretty much all you need if you want to take a blueprint from the champion Israel Adesanya. He's not taking anybody down, but he has good takedown defense and gets it done on the feet. So you got to take it from that perspective. On the other side, you have Gerald Mearshart. Um, he's more of a one-trick pony. He's later on in his career, and he gets most of his victories by a uh, submission particularly due to his guillotine, which is a nasty guillotine. You make a – you dive in, try to get a single leg or a double leg, and you don't, you know, cover your bases. He's going to put you to sleep, that's for sure. Um, but I just don't see this game to the ground. I don't think that Mearshart's takedowns are good enough to get uh, Murdov down. So I'm, I'm taking Murdov here. 
No, 100% agreed. You Let's mentioned Edmund Shabazian. I bring Armin Sarukian to the conversation. I think this guy's got just as much skill as any of those guys. And, you know, I think this is just another opportunity for him to show people that because I think he's going to leave with something very violent having happened in the cage. No, he, he, I could almost <coughs> guarantee you that he's going to get either the five of the night or a, uh, particularly, uh, not the finish of the night. night yeah. yeah. Finish of the night. Um, but let's get the odds though, real quick. All right. Where are we at? All right. We have Murdoch coming at minus 450. So obviously the odd makers see it the same as us. That's, I mean, that's heavy, heavy favorite versus plus 450 for Mirror So, Zach, seeing any taste, tasty, uh, parlays or uh prop bets here well definitely definitely when i look at this fight seeing minus 450 like you said the odds makers see it the same way we do this is probably not a very evenly matched fight so i i do think this is a really good play in a parlay i think this is something that's going to hit so if you pair it with something else which we might discuss later on the card that you also are pretty sure will hit you know, it could, it could make it could make you some money, but the the bet that really looks juicy to me is kind of what kind of what Gage said earlier. With I just had it. Uh, Mirshar by submission. No, Murdov by TKO or KO is only minus one fifty, so it's not positive money yet, and it's still pretty. You know, it's not fantastic odds, but. It's a lot more playable than minus 450 if you want to bet on this fight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I kind of agree with you more. I mean, obviously, if you most of the time when you're looking at somebody winning by TKO, you're getting plus money all the way through, but minus 150, I mean, I think that's what everybody thinks it is. Yeah, you could, I mean, you could do Muradov wins inside the distance at minus 185 on the off chance that maybe he rocks him with his striking and then slips a guillotine in there, rear naked choke or something, takes the back. You know, when once you get to the UFC, some of these jujitsu tricks, everybody knows them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else you want to mention here, Zach? Or No, I think we're good. And I would just like to mention that you should follow the calf kick experience on Instagram because – I think Gage and I are going to make a collaborative bet card, including some parlays for this week, some plays, and give you all a chance to just peek inside the magic without having to take the whole thing down your throat. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to our next quarrel that we got on the docket. We have Andre Petrovsky um, coming at 5-1. He is a now a uh, – the ultimate fighter alumni, just like our friend. Shout out to the Badger, Brendan O'Reilly. Uh, he's coming in at, also at the middleweight at 185, coming at six foot, uh, out fighting at the USA. And, uh, you know, these don't matter. Honestly, these are just schmuck organizations, just like we are. There's nobody good in these. Um, so, yeah, there's not much to say about his background. And his opponent, on the other hand, Michael, the gentleman, Gilmore, coming in at 6'3". This guy fucking stinks. This guy's a fucking stooge coming in 185, 5'11". Even though he has some wins strung together, this guy 
fucking stinks if you ever seen the uh, Ultimate Fighter, Zach. Oh, are you, is this your way of passing it to me? This 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 stinks. These are a bunch of stooges. Oh man, let's see. What can I say? What can I say? Michael Gilmore, I will not uh, I will not defame this person in the manner that Gage is doing it cuz I don't know if he fucking stinks. I don't know if he's a stooge. But we talked about it before the podcast, and it just so happens that where Michael Gilmore is particularly weak is where Andre Petrosky is really strong. Petrosky was probably the favorite to win the Ultimate Fighter by everybody involved in the process, if I had to take a guess. He was the first pick in the whole contest. And, you know, my only real concern with the guy is the gas tank. We, we've seen him try to chain wrestle, and we've talked about it in the past when you – wrestle and you shoot a whole bunch and you're exerting all that energy it's a pretty difficult pace to sustain so you know unless this fight unless michael gilmore just shows the chris mutinho zombie heart of a fighter and finds a way to will this into the latter part of the second round and maybe the third i i don't see any way he can win this i i just imagine petrosky's gonna get him on the ground ragdoll him around for a little while and then rear naked choke finish it by submission yeah um i don't see that happening uh michael gilmore's fucking trash i'm surprised dana white even gave him a shot especially on a main card like come on bro like is is the talent pool so weak trotsky's <laughs> gonna run through this guy like like yesterday's fucking Leftovers. I don't fucking know. This guy is just going to run this guy over like a fucking Mack truck. This guy's not going to know what's going to happen to him. I'd be so surprised if Petrovsky lost. He looked great in, in the Ultimate Fighter this past season, but he did tire out, like he said. Um, other than that, I mean, dude, like Gilmore looked like garbage, even though he was coming in short notice. Like, Jesus, he looked incompetent more than anything. In the Ultimate Fighter, I know Trayshawn Gore is a beast, but fuck me, that was bad. Uh oh, I can. <laughs> My girlfriend is trying to sneak by the camera, but uh, I don't know. All I guess I can really say on that is I think Dana White is a good good person in terms of sticking to his word, because Michael Gilmore was a guy that originally did not make the cast of the Ultimate Fighter, and. Dana told him, like, that's it, dude. And he said, well, what if I want to stick around and pay my way in Vegas and be the alternate? Sure enough, Miles Hunzinger gets hurt, decides to pull out, and in comes Michael Gilmore. So I think he took that fight on two days, short notice. So I think given the circumstances surrounding it, Dana told him, hey, dude, this isn't a real fair shot. If you do me a favor, I'll do you a favor and give you a real fair shot. But... On the other hand, I think Andre Petrosky is a guy that, you know, with some some little adjustments here and there, some slight improvements to the stand-up game, we could be looking at a guy who didn't win the Ultimate Fighter, like several before him, who turns into a serious contender pretty quickly. Yeah. I, You know, I'm not putting him in there at 185 with Brunson as a wrestler. Like, I don't think he's in that category necessarily, but... I think he poses a lot of problems to some of the guys in those in that division that are primarily strikers. 
Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think he has a future, that's for sure. I, even though he sure. didn't win, I think he's going to be here for quite a while. And I think Dana White understands that as well. Organizationally, I think it's reflective of that. All right, well, let's get into the odds for this fight. I'm sure they're going to be shit. But, wow, what do you know? Let's move us over. All right, Petrovsky. The best you can get him is a minus 400 favorite. Which obviously means you got to bet four hundred dollars to win one hundred, and Gilmore plus four twenty five. So not looking too great on that standard. No, that- I was about uh, to say maybe you parlay Petrovsky with Muradov, and you you have something there if you toss another guy in there. But I don't know, man. Maybe it under one and a half rounds is actually negative money at minus 130. You're on you're losing money there a little bit, but I think that's a much safer bet. I think you're right. I think I'm right. I think Petrovsky's gonna steamroll this guy. I mean if it gets out of the first round, this guy's not making it through two and a half minutes of the second round. So then this this fight card, I mean. Some of it's going to be competitive, but like actual fight fans know that this is there's some heavy favorites here, and I think I think the favorites are going to take it today, um, this weekend actually. But you know, yeah, no, that's kind of right in my ballpark to pick the favorites to win, right? But sure, I might be riding that train too, bud. Petrosky by submission at plus one forty does not strike me as a horrible decision to make either. Yeah, no. Uh, I think what plus or minus one eighty for wins and decides the distance. Yeah, great either. But uh, if you, I mean, if you err on the side that maybe he finish him finishes him with ground and pound punches, plus three hundred for a TKO. So if you're looking for positive money, it's the difference between whether you think Petrosky wins by submission or knockout. And if you're looking for just a reasonable bet on this one. Under one and a half rounds at minus one thirty is probably your best value, unless you're going to parlay it. Yep. All right. Well, you got it here. I think we're pretty staunch on our two picks so far. But let's uh, let's get into the next fight of the night. We have Kevin Lee. We actually have a non, uh, tough alumni, I believe. Anyway, yeah. Kevin Lee, the Motown Phenom, coming at eighteen six. This stack house is coming in at 170 for this fight, uh, right? 170. Yeah, this is a welterweight fight for sure. Welterweight fight. Uh, fighting at 5'9", with a 77-inch reach. So he's a little undersized. He's been fighting in the lightweight <laughs> for quite some time. All right, he's coming off a, a loss to the champion where he had some uh, issues with his knee. And then... You know, obviously, all these guys are top competition. So he's fought some killers, especially in the lightweight division. I believe his only other welterweight fight was the uh, RDA right here. And yep. the welterweight. So we'll get into his analysis in a minute. But his opponent is Daniel D. Rod Rodriguez coming at 15 and 2. Uh, Finding that out of California coming in at 6 1, saying four inch reach. So there's Quite a bit of size there. And uh, he's coming off two wins versus Press Parsons and Mike Perry. And, uh, yeah, Zach, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm going to let you do this one first. Okay. I always, I always have to go first. 
Okay. Okay. So, uh, Kevin Lee, start off with him. I think his wrestling is excellent. I think he's a brawler. I think he's dangerous. I think he can beat anybody on any given night. <clears throat> Concerns with him are, uh, I believe he's coming off two knee surgeries. That's why it's been almost over. No, it's definitely been over a year and maybe over 18 months since we last seen him in the octagon. So it'll be very interesting to see how he comes out, see if there's any ring rust. But uh, I think he is just an absolute stud. I mean, he's beat some of the top guys, honestly, and he's tough. He gets himself in trouble because he leaves his chin open, but also his wrestling makes up for it, and sometimes he gets submitted. But overall, I think he is a... A minus B plus fighter. Uh, his opponent Daniel Rodriguez. He's more of a stand up guy, um, and he just likes to brawl, pound it out, boxing, kickboxing kind of stuff. And he does have power in his hands, but there's not much spectacularness. It's uh, what's the old boy's name that we saw fight uh, Uriah Hall a couple weeks ago. Son of a bitch, Sean Strickland. Yeah, yeah. It's Sean Strickland-esque, but without as crisp of a jab and not nearly as well-rounded, I think. I think he's a poor man, Sean Strickland. If I'm being honest with you here, um, I just don't see see him doing well on his back, especially jujitsu-wise and handling Kevin Lee's uh, wrestling. But also you got to take in point, uh, into account that, you know, Kevin Lee's going to be undersized for this fight. So it'll be interesting to see if he'll be able to take D-Rod down. I absolutely agree with that last point more than anything. I personally am not a Sean Strickland fan. I'm not convinced the guy's as great as everybody else says he is. So I'll just start there. Uh, More than anything, I think Kevin Lee is definitely a lightweight. He's definitely a 155-er. And... I guess I respect the balls for him to move to 170. He said, I need a fight. He went and found a fight. And, you know, maybe if he comes in and performs and looks really good, he could be somebody that just based on his resume could walk into a really big fight, even if it's at 170. I believe he's ranked number 11 in the lightweight rankings. But I just, if I have to pick an underdog on this fight, which or on this card, which I just feel like I do, I feel like this fight is definitely a favorable matchup for Daniel Rodriguez. I think this is a fight that he can win because, like you said, Kevin Lee leaves his chin a little bit exposed at times. He's not afraid to take a punch. But more than anything, Daniel Rodriguez's output is insane. He's got like a plus 2.8 something, if I'm not mistaken, striking differential, significant strike differential. And we just talked about Gerald Michart, who's got a negative striking, significant strike differential. So you have to take into account how much this guy's putting out and at the same time, how efficient he is, how efficient he is with some of the stuff. I mean, let me rephrase. Everything he's putting out is touching. He's not wasting punches. He's not in there dancing around and and shadow boxing. That's not his style. I agree with you. I think the discrepancy in the ground game definitely favors Kevin Lee, but I think I lean more towards the side of if Daniel Rodriguez can kind of maintain staying on the outside and trying to pick this fight apart when Kevin Lee 
tries to wrestle him, he should just be able to get his ass to the cage and either A, defend the takedown, or B, pop right back up. Yeah, I mean, the only caveat I have to that is uh, we saw Daniel Rodriguez have a bunch of trouble with um, Nichols Dalby, who we did a co-op on the other week, and his karate style and his big stance and darted in and out, which I think Kevin Lee can do, honestly. He's definitely athletic nut. I think he's going to have the speed advantage on the feet. And, uh, I mean, it's going to be a close fight. I, I I just think Kevin Lee's going to make this his fight. I don't think he's going to stay in the pocket of D-Rod. He's going to make it ugly, you know. I think he might get him down to the ground. And we haven't really seen Derek or D-Rod on the ground, you know. So No, there's definitely a huge difference and I guess a favorable level of experience on Kevin Lee's side because Rodriguez just has not fought the same caliber of guys, 155 or 170, no different in that, in that regard. But if you really, I guess, look at what it seems like to me, <clears throat> Kevin Lee's been training for this fight. Kevin Lee has known this fight was, was coming. And I can't remember exactly who he was supposed to be fighting. But his opponent pulled out, and Daniel Rodriguez took this fight. But Daniel Rodriguez didn't fight all that long ago. So I don't think the short notice aspect of this fight will be as as large as it's been in the past. Yeah, he just fought in July. So I think Daniel Rodriguez will be in shape. I think he'll look good. So the short notice aspect of the fight won't matter, even though Kevin Lee has been training his ass off. No, yeah, I agree with you, but you got to look at Kevin Lee's, you know, just report card of the fights. I mean, shit, he KO'd by Dr. Stoppage, Edison Barboza. Well, I mean, who is not the biggest guy, but Jesus Christ, if you can KO Edson Barboza and get away from his kicks and, you know, his striking, I mean, come on, man. Like, he's one of the best strikers and the quickest. So you're telling me that. If he can beat Edson Barboza, he's not going to be able to beat Daniel Rodriguez. I mean, shit, Gregor Gillespie was undefeated before uh, he fought Kevin Lee. And Gregor Gillespie, although he's a wrestler, also a great striker too. So, I mean, most of Kevin Lee's experience has been dominating, uh, you know, ground game. And, you know, obviously. But I just, I, you beat Edson Barboza, you get my respect. Yeah, no, I think I just hold a lot of apprehension towards Kevin Lee, even if it's subconsciously at this point, just because, you know, he's coming off of two pretty serious injuries with one of them, maybe I think both of them being to his knee. Yeah, two ACLs. It's just, it's not that you can't recover from that. There's plenty of guys in professional sports throughout all of them that have shown you could tear your ACL a hundred times and still come back and be an effective professional athlete. But I just think it's difficult to say that he'll be the same. It's almost Derek Rose pre knee injury versus Derek Rose after the knee injury. He's not a bad basketball player by any means, but he's not nearly as explosive and as able to change the game as he was before he hurt himself. And I think that will probably impact Kevin Lee, whether he chooses to acknowledge it before the fight or not. And that's going to do it for our analysis on this one. We got to talk about the money lines. We got to talk about the bets. 
Oh, yeah. You correct me right there, pal. All right. Let's get into these bets real quick. All right. We got Kevin Lee as a minus 145 favorite. And his opponent, D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez, coming out plus 135. Zach? Well, I'll take – I have plus 137 on mine, but plus money at this point, like you said, I think the card is going to favor the favorites. So, plus money where you can get it is good. I, I don't know if I really – want to look at any prop bets in particular except for maybe Rodriguez wins by TKO at plus 380 it's at plus 380 for a reason you know it's not necessarily likely but it could happen and Rodriguez by decision is also plus 380 so you can take plus money on Rodriguez and then if you decide to attach a means to it you can over double set odds. So I think I would prefer to play the knockout bet myself, but what sticks out to you, Gage? Nothing really. I mean, I don't think that I think Lee could win by submission at plus 420, but I wouldn't be willing to take a, a risk on that. I think he's going to have a harder time than he thinks getting him to the ground. So, I mean, I guess fight to decision if you want Kevin Lee, but, you know, you're not really doing yourself any favors because there's no plus money there. True. Let's get into the next one, huh? Yeah, let's just keep running it. Let's keep rolling, bro. All right. We got Ultimate Fighter Ricky Turkios coming at 10-2. and two. He's coming in the bantamweight division. They find bantam or feather. This is this is bantamweight. This is one thirty-five. Yeah, 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 so I thought this is bantamweight one thirty-five. We have five nine with the seventy-two inch reach. Five H Town, hold it down, Texas. Let's go. Um, not like any of this matters, but uh, yeah, he has he does have pro bouts on his record. His opponent is another tough alumni now, Brady Bam Bam High Stand coming at five and one. Uh, also fighting the. Bantamweight division coming at 5'8", and his reach is not there. All right. Not getting this matters as well, but we've all watched Ultimate Fighter here. We know what the fuck's going on as Ricky Tertios all day, baby. Yeah, I was about to say I, I do not have a dissenting opinion on this one whatsoever. I don't know if it's Ricky Tertios all day in terms of this being a, an easy matchup for him, I think Brady Highstand presents a lot of interesting challenges, particularly where it comes to his wrestling offense and with his ability to just keep guys on the ground from what it seems. His ability to turn the ground into his advantage in any way, shape, or fashion. But, you know, that's, that's kind of scary, especially when you look at Ricky Tercios does not have the best takedown defense we've seen him get taken down multiple times in the same fight, but Ricky Tercios is also a really good scrambler. He's a guy that doesn't stay on the bottom for long. And when he is on the bottom, he's throwing up submissions and he's throwing up elbows and he's really active off of his back. So he creates opportunities for himself to get up that other guys don't necessarily. I think Ricky Tercios has a pretty definitive advantage on the feet on the fit. 
when it comes to the striking here. So I, I got to go with the Houston boys. Shout out Gracie Baja, the Woodlands, I guess about 30, 35 minutes from where I'm at right now. But the Houston boys going to get it done. Couldn't agree more with you, brother. I think Brady is one-dimensional, and don't get me wrong. There are plenty of one-dimensional fighters in the UFC right now. Michael Chiesa, um, all these guys are purely wrestlers. Curtis Blades comes to mind when you're thinking about this. They're just purely wrestlers, and they won a lot of matches. But uh, it's just not the way to get it done. If you want to win fights, sure. That's what you get done, judges' scorecards, maybe ink out a few KOs or TKOs here and there. But I just – Brady Heisman, 135, that's not really a division that you see a lot of wrestlers having success in just because you don't have a lot of body mass. You don't have a lot of size to be able to keep people down, which is a problem. You know, unlike heavyweights where you got a whole bunch of mass, it's a lot harder to uh, to lift a person like that. So when you're a little bit lighter, you have a little bit more strength as opposed to your opponent. You know, that's like a 135-pound guy, guy bench pressing, you know, 205 pounds, which isn't that tall of a order, versus, you know, a 265-pound guy trying to bench press 300 or, uh, you know, 350 or something like that. So I, I just think that uh, Ricky Tertios, like you said, his scrambling game is going to get done, even though he might get taken down here and there. I don't think he's going to be able to be kept down. And when it's scramble time, I think Ricky has uh, an advantage, and especially his active guard. I love that too. Well, couldn't have said it better myself. Let's check the odds on this one. I think they should be a little bit closer than what we've seen so far. All right, let's get into him. All right, we got Ricky Turkios coming at minus 159, the favorite. Brady Highstam at plus 145. So this is uh, about as not as even as we'll get, but especially from the first three fights, I mean, our first two fights, this is pretty close uh, in terms of what's happened in uh, action this weekend. Zach, parlays, picks. Hey. I, I mean, I like the fact that this fight probably goes to a decision. So oh, fight you. goes to a decision open-ended is at minus 162, which is not as great of odds as just picking Ricky Tercio's flat-out money line. But I think if we go down here and look at where is Tercio's by a decision? Uh, we got plus 163, Tertius, indecision. Plus one? Nah, I'll take it. I'll take it. I would play that. I, I, I think this is one of the more tricky ones because obviously facing a wrestler, you can get down around <laughs> pretty easily. So, But I don't think he's going to be laying on top of him the whole time. No, so. I agree. I think Ricky Tercios will be able to scramble, and I think – He'll definitely inflict more damage in this fight than Brady Heistam will. And given the fact that it seems like this is going to be a pretty close fight, at least in my head, 
I think damage is going to be a significant factor at the end when the judges come to score it. So I think that will play into his favor in terms of a decision-making process. I think that's going to be one that's going to be hard to score TKO. Obviously, bantamweights don't do it often, but especially not these two guys, especially not Brady Heistan. So, I mean, they're just they're tiny people. They're no bitch-made baby faces, but they're damn not close. Yet. They're about 10 pounds off. You're about 10 pounds off. Bunch of damn starving Marvins. I love that. All right, bro. Ready again, the co-main event? Let's talk it. It feels like a big one. All right. For our co-main, we have Brian Battle coming at five and one, fighting at the middleweight division again, the six two height. Uh again, <coughs> stuff really doesn't matter. This is all in regional MMA. <laughs> Another picture of Brian Battle, uh, contestant on the Ultimate Fighter. His opponent is Gilbert, the RGV bad boy. Personally, I love that nickname. Urbina coming in at 6-1-1. Uh, he's fighting also in the middleweight division, coming at 6-3 with the 74-inch reach. Uh, Gilbert also had two brothers fighting on the Ultimate Fighter, so fight runs in the family. Sean Brady has a loss that's actually quite notable. And Sean Brady's 14 and 0 right now. So, um, other than that, Zach, you want to hit this one off, brother? Don't mind if I do. I actually really like this matchup. I think it presents favorably for both sides. I think Brian Battle versus Treshawn Gore probably would have been a better fight. Absolutely. Probably would have been more of a banger, but Treshawn Gore hurt his knee. Um, He's definitely going to be guaranteed a contract. Dana already said they're going to give him an opportunity, but I guess I'll pose the question to you after I'm done about whether or not you think everybody on this card that's an ultimate fighter guy is guaranteed at least another fight after this one, or if you think some of these guys will be one and dones. But <clears throat> looking at this from, I guess, an analytical standpoint, in Gilbert Urbina's last fight, he basically proved to all of us that his striking defense was non-existent. He got he got dropped three times, I think, in the first round, and then he got put out fucking cold. I think his striking offense is pretty impressive when he gets hot, when he gets it going. But Brian Battle, man, I did not expect this dude to beat Andre Petrosky. <clears throat> I, I don't. I, let me let me rephrase. I'm not going to say I don't know how it happened. I watched it with my eyes, and I think Brian Battle is a really good fighter at this point, but he's very well-rounded. Let me put it that way. If Petrosky couldn't get him to the ground, Gilbert Urbina is not going to be able to get, to get him to the ground. So I largely think this is going to be a stand-up fight. And I just think Battle's the bigger guy. I think he's going to be the longer guy, if I'm not mistaken. And I just think he's, he's, a, he's a better strategic striker. I think Gilbert might be a little bit more technical, but Battle is a much more strategic fighter in terms of using things to set up other things. I think we've seen him not necessarily toy around, but I think we've seen him throw some things out there and get a read on his opponent. Maybe it was good coaching from Team Volk, but I think he picks up really well on things in the fight. So even if he doesn't necessarily start off fast trying to kill Gilbert Urbina, I think there's a chance that he sees something and ends up putting this guy down at the end of the first round or maybe in the second. Yeah, I mean, once again, can't agree with you more. Um, 
I think Brian Battle's stand-up game is pretty elite for <coughs> being on the ultimate fire, especially in terms of strategy and actually strike diversity. Him putting down Andre Prostrovsky was crazy. I mean, I don't think a lot of people think thought going into that fight that uh, Brian Battle was going to be able to do that, and he did. Um, I just I think uh, Brian Battle is a lot closer to Trayshawn Gore is to uh, than you know Gilbert Urbino thought or is he going to think you know if he can't handle Trayshawn Gore I don't think he's going to be able to handle Brian Battle just because of the strike diversity and you know Trayshawn Gore is more throwing one two threes and looking for the power shots and not really you know hitting the switch kicks you know, and all the spinning crazy shit that he does. And I don't think that, uh, you know, Arpina is going to be able to get down battle. So I think battle takes this one pretty easily. Uh, I agree. To the odds we go. Yeah, we go. Zach. What? There we go. <laughs> all right, we got Brian Battle coming as the minus 155 favorite. Gilbert being a plus 140 underdog. Yeah, I think that's pretty reflective of how we see things. I think, honestly, I think these odds lie towards Brian Battle having more value than Gilbert Urbina. 100%, especially the odds for this just opened on Sunday, actually, which is a little bit later than usual, but given the replacement, it is what it is. Brian Battle opened at minus 129, and he's now all the way up to minus 162. So like I've mentioned in the past, it seems like the money's going his way, and it seems like the trend is Brian Battle at this point. But do you see any props just off the top of your head that jump out at you? Well, seeing that Urbina got TKO'd in his last timeout and that Battle TKO'd Petrovsky, Looking at battle plus 500 is not bad at all. Um, I know that they fought three rounds fights each time in the last semifinal rounds, but, I mean, Urbina also looked kind of tired at the end of his, and battle looked like he was ready to go by the end of the third round. So I I think that battle can ink ink out a TKO here in some form or fashion. If not, you know, we could go down to bad ones inside the distance at plus 200. Yeah, no. Uh, Battle, actually, he submitted Petrosky. I think he was a guillotine on the Ultimate Fighter, mm-hmm. but I'm not suggesting by any means that he wins by submission here. What I'm suggesting is kind of similar to what Gage was saying, is that his gas tank is good and that he finishes fights. For the most part, Yeah, it's... It, What's what's the it's minus one fifteen that the fight goes to decision, so slight favoritism towards a decision. I don't agree with that. So if you wanted to play the fight doesn't go to decision and leave yourself as open ended as possible to win, minus one hundred five, even money, you could play the shit out of that. I don't think that's a bad bet at all. If you want to be a little bit more ballsy, I don't think the fight will start round three. So at plus one thirty six. I find that to be valuable. And like Gage said, the plus 500 on battle wins by TKO. I'm not certain of that fact by any means, but 
I think it's within the realm of possibility, no doubt. So I think those odds are too good, especially just considering how bad Gilbert Urbina's striking defense looked in that last fight. Yeah, absolutely. I can agree with you more. I mean, I, I, I think we both don't see Urbina pulling us out. I mean, I'm, I like Urbina. He's a Texas boy, but I just, I don't see enough there. I was about to say nothing like you, you hit it perfectly. No, it's nothing personal, not in the slightest, not in any sense of the word is this personal, but I just think battle's got too many elements in his game. And I just think everything about battle is just a little bit slightly upgraded version of what we see with Urbina. I think he's just a little bit more well-rounded and I, I see him getting the job done. I, I haven't really thought on who I would match make him with next if he does win, but, you know, I definitely see like Petrosky, this guy having a pretty, maybe not significant, but lengthy career in the UFC at that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, Brian Battle gets it done for both of us here. Now let's get into our main event. Let's fuck shit up this week. Let's fuck shit up this week. I love that. We got our boy Edson Barboozle Barboza coming in at 22 and 9. He is going to be fighting in the featherweight division this time. Uh coming at 5-11 with a 75-inch reach. He is coming off two wins, that beautiful KO over Saint Shane Burgos and another one versus Makwan Amir Khani. I mean, if you also look at his record Jesus Christ, this guy went through a murderous row. Yeah, Habib. Yeah, Kevin Lee. Yeah, Dan Hooker. Yeah, body shot win over Dan Hooker. Justin Gaethje, he lost to Paul uh, Felder. Dan Ige. Dude, this guy went through the who's who of both divisions. And uh, we still think he got it. We still think he has some juice. Friend of the show, by the way. And then on the other side, we got... Giga the Ninja Chikadze coming at 13 to this kickboxing experts coming at six foot, a 74 inch reach, quite big for this division, as well as uh, Edson. But you know, this guy, I don't think he's lost since he's been in the UFC, and uh, he's known for his Giga kick to the fucking liver, where I called that wrong against Cub Swanson earlier this year. RP to that bet, but uh, Zach, go ahead. Well, 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 looky where we are. The main oh, the event. The tables have turned. The tables have turned. Oh, man, I, I was still not standing with complete certainty as you were reading the statistics and the records right there. I was still not 100% sure who I was going to pick. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that this is about as close of a fight as is in existence. I think this is a really great match to make because both of these guys' strong points, both of their, you know, areas of strength is in kickboxing. Both of them are stand-up fighters. Barboozle might be the hardest kicker in the entire UFC promotion. But you look at, I I just got to note that, I picked Giga for the Cub Swanson fight and I did some pretty extensive research because I had never heard of the guy and for what he lacks 
in mixed martial arts record, he makes up for in professional kickboxing record. Kind of like an Israel Adesanya type. He kickboxed a ridiculous number of men. So I think where everybody sees Barboza finding this revival at 145 that he didn't have at 155, it's because he's got a strength advantage over a lot of these guys, and he's just pummeling them almost. Not in terms of wrestling, not in terms of up-close combat, but just those kicks are deadly, man. Calf kicks, thigh kicks. The striking with the hands is no – he's not – I mean, it's not shabby either, but – I think I got to go with my gut. I think a lot of the picks that I've fucked up in in the recent memory have come with me trying to talk myself out of my gut. And my initial re- reaction and response to this fight was, I'm going to go with Giga. I think where Giga is an expert, Barbosa is also an expert, but Giga did it way more times. I think he's got a way more diverse arsenal I'm not calling Barboozle a one-trick pony by any means, but I think Chikadze's arsenal is loaded, and I definitely see him inflicting some damage in this fight. Even if he doesn't secure a knockout or another finish, I, I, I'm i going with Chikadze, and I think this fight's going to be a banger. I'm going to let you pick up where I shit the analysis bed. but All right. Um, like you said, I think – both are excellent kickboxers. I think they might be the best two kickboxers at 145. Almost no doubt in my mind. Um, I, I do think that, you know, the leg kicks of Barboozle are going to get to Chikadze. I think that he has probably some of the best leg kicks in the entire UFC outside of probably Justin Gaethje. And then he couples that with a spinning back kick where he's knocked out multiple people and also a nice flying knee. Um, his, and his handwork, also superb. Um, but, you know, his his real calling card is his legs. Uh, Giga Chikazi on their hand, is known for that liver kick, which he puts people down with, like, no thing you've ever seen. I mean, it's preposterous how hard he kicks these folks' livers. And he's very strategic in that. And uh, he knows what he does. He switched uh, Southpaw to Orthodox a bunch of times to pull you in and try to entice you to come in and switch stances to where he can target that liver. And he's very, very good at it. I mean, you get caught slipping once, he's going to slip that, and then it's, it's going to cripple you. Um, just go on YouTube and Google, you know. Giga kick, and you'll find it plenty of times. Other than that, I mean, I think uh, Giga Chikazi can do it because of the fact that when he switches to Southpaw and loads up that left kick, it's going to be coming into Edson Barbozo's orthodox stance, and he has a tendency to keep his stance high, especially when he's getting targeted to the head a lot. So that's my analysis. Yeah, I think this is a favorable matchup for Giga just in terms of one of the areas we've seen him relatively untested in is the ground game, the wrestling. I'm not sure if we can say definitively whether it's there or not, but I don't think that Barboozle is going to pose that question for us on Saturday night. You never know. We've seen in the past two superb strikers. One guy might come in and try to wrestle and grapple 
to catch the other off guard because he doesn't want to get hit by his stuff. So you never know. I, I'm almost lenient to come in and say that this is going to be all stand-up war. See, I, I'm not just because I think if I think if Barboozle comes out early and tries to show a wrestling attack, and maybe even early in the fight he does find some success getting Chikadza on the ground, this is a five-round fight, and we're talking about a kickboxer who's used to going for rounds and rounds and rounds like this. So assuming his corner's worth a shit, I know that his reaction and his kickboxing skills are there. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Barboozle try to shoot for a takedown somewhere in the third or fourth round and get caught with a knee to the face. Absolutely. Well, let's get into the odds here. All right. We have Edson Barboozle, Barboza coming at minus 111 favorite. And his opponent, Giga Chikazi, coming at minus 103 is the best you can get him at. So basically, it's pretty much pick him. Uh, Zach? Yeah, I mean, we kind of said it. The, this was going to be a coin flip fight, and seems like we weren't weren't wrong there in that aspect. Um, the odds seem to favor that the fight is not going to go to a decision, which I don't know. Kind of like Gage said about his stance on wrestling being a factor in this fight. I'm almost lenient to say that the fight doesn't go to decision. I would not be surprised if this was a hard fought war that went for yeah. five rounds and both of these guys end up ended up bloody and battered. But yeah. I don't know in terms of an over under where I stand on where that, where that finish would come. Uh, so I, I don't want to play any of the fight will or won't start unless uh, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, but Chikadze by TKO at plus 240, it, it could play. And then where is Chikadze by decision at plus 360 could definitely play. I'm just going to stay away from this one completely. I don't know who's going to win. If it's going to be a TKO, if it's going to – this one just – this is a minefield for me. I I think Giga Chikadze is going to win but I'm staying away from this from a gambling perspective. Yeah, I was about to say, this fight in particular, unless you're just going to take the money line, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I would play the props myself either, but just looking at the big picture, I haven't sat down and thought about it yet, I'll be honest. So don't hold me to more than one parlay here, but I don't know, man. Muradov? Plus Petrosky, plus Brian Battle, seems like a pretty pretty solid parlay to make. I'm not sure what that's going to adjust your odds to, but shit, I might make one bet on the whole card and have that be it. No, yeah, I, I could I could definitely uh, agree with you in that aspect. I think those three are pretty much you know, gimme's in, in the one column, if we're being completely honest here, you know? Obviously, it's any given Saturday, but their opponents look outmatched. Yeah, I I think that's all we really have for the UFC Vegas 35 breakdown, unless you'd like to add anything on the end of that. Maybe, maybe something a little bit <clears throat> beefy. Mm. 
Uh, (laughs) All right, let's put this in our five minute breakdown. Start the timer. All right, let me just whip it up. And if you guys have ever heard a calf kick experience roast, y'all are about to hear one. Ready? Five minutes set. Our famous outro ending segment to the show. We're about to mentally spar each other for the next 300 seconds. So, you ready? Yep. Let's do it. All right, folks. We're going to start off with the Beef Wellington. We have the Wellington Beef Termin coming at minus 130. This guy fucking sucks. All he knows how to do is fucking uh, do jitsu and wrestle, and he ain't fucking uh MMA world beater at it. So we call him fucking Beef Wellington because this guy might as well just be a fucking cow and lay on top of you. <clears throat> His opponent, Sam Alvey, plus 125, a smiling fuck. Who fucking smiles when they get in a fight? Let me just pull up some pictures for y'all. Wellington. Look at him. Who this ugly motherfucker. Look, he fought the fucking Joker. And then... There we go. This smiling fuck. Look at this. Look at this. Zach, would you like to continue with the roast? Uh, I don't know if I have much else other to say than that, if we're being honest. Beef Wellington needs to go re reaffirm what he's doing for his career because... We, if you go back and watch our uh, Cyril Gon versus Alexander Volkov video, we basically said it, man. Beef Wellington can't throw a punch. Beef Wellington cannot do much outside of, you know, try to grapple off of his back, which is not a very effective way to win MMA matches. And Beef gets Wellington grounded and pounded through the fucking mat. Beef Wellington got freaking doggy styled by bruno silva and originally i thought that was because bruno silva was just really good which he is but beef wellington is just a fat lard sometimes man and you know that's not to say that i can give much credit to sam alvey the smiling fuck as gage has nicknamed him i just he's old he's lost more than a step or two the firecrackers that he supposedly used to have in his hands are now like little poppers you throw on the ground on the 4th of July. I'm actually, I don't think I've ever said this, that I'm not excited for a fight. I almost would reckon that this would bring sort of disgrace to the UFC banner because I just don't know, man. Are they going out there to have a tickle fight or a mixed martial arts match? Is this a freaking teenage girl sleepover with a pillow fight included or a freaking fist fight? I don't know. Maybe we'll get something cool out of this. Maybe Beef Wellington will choke Sam Alvey's head till it pops like a pimple, but it seems that the smiling bastard will live to fight another day, if you ask me. Oh, my God. Now, on a more serious note, on a more serious mixed martial arts direction, 185 is now a very a quite interesting situation with the reemergence of Jared Cannonier. I think it's pretty much determined that Izzy and Rob have business to do together. Whitaker versus Adesanya, too, is going to happen, hopefully at some point next year. But what do you do with Cannoneer at this point, man? Is he, A, automatically the number one contender now because he hasn't fought Izzy? B, he gets the winner or the loser of Vittori versus Costa? Or 
C, he gets the winner or loser of Brunson versus Till. Where do you stand on that one? Uh, I think he is the winner of Brunson versus Till. Um, I I know Costa was supposed to fight him, and I think Costa would have won it. So I I just don't think Cannonier is that great, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't think he's an elite. I think uh, I think Dar- Darren Till's definitely better than him. I think Derek Bronson's better than him. I think Costa and Vittoria are better than him. I definitely think Whitaker is better than him. I think he's like the sixth guy in the division. You know, I, I don't know. I think he's maybe as good as Derek Bronson. Yeah, I, he's I a agree. gatekeeper at best. I think Cannoneer versus Till would make for an interesting stylistic matchup at this point. And, you know, on the off chance Cannoneer can beat Till, I don't think he can. I'll just be upfront about that. But Izzy's very keen on, I don't want to do rematches anymore. I want to fight guys I haven't fought yet. So I think he's eyeing Till to be in that title fight here in the, here in the near future. And I think if Cannoneer can get over on him, they haven't fought either. So that's not, completely out of the picture either yeah i mean i think izzy has a claim is going to have a claim to fame in that middleweight division for a long time because it just doesn't have the up-and-comers i mean vittori yeah he he made his way up through pretty quickly but that was it there's no there's nobody else you know shabazzing got shut down where's izzy's up-and-coming opponents i don't know Kevin Holland, maybe. No. no, he got beat twice. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe Chimaev moves back up, but that just seems unlikely at this point as well. Does he have another fight coming up soon? Chimaev? Yeah. Fights the leech on the UFC 266 card. He's I'm the he's the the featured bout. Uh, he's gonna demolish the leech. That Chinese fucking bastard is going to get his shit kicked in by the fucking Middle Eastern. I'll tell you that right now. I'm you fucking been the house. You absolutely cannot say that. So <laughs> I think that's going to wrap up another less than serious edition of the calf kick experience. I'm Zach Gleason. That's Gage Handball, and we're signing out.